so i've i've worked enough in the education sector and i'm very proud of everything that has happened so far uh, there's a very long way to go um and and when i mentioned earlier on to you that um you know uh, in 2013 when i came back and i realized the scale of the problem and i was telling myself it is too big of a problem to solve mm-hmm. i was actually meaning to tell it with you know actual you know courage to say i i really can't solve it but then i i actually had realized back on that it's an issue that will not be solved overnight and yeah. a lot of patience a lot of hard work a lot of dedication was needed and when we built the first school we knew early on that it was not going to be easy we're going to lose uh, quite some number of battles but we're going to win the majority of them hello everybody welcome back to yet another episode of millennial musings and as always i'm your host anurag ramchandran today's episode has been a long time coming and i'm so excited for it because ever since i met this person back in 2016 he has been nothing but an inspiration for me at every step of the way he's one of my closest friends and trusted advisors but at the same time he also happens to be one of the most revolutionary educationalists in the world my guest this episode surya karki has been recognized by every single prestigious award that there is from forbes to prince charles the list goes on and on but if you ask him he will tell you that his greatest accomplishment has been in extending education to the most vulnerable communities in rural nepal his story would leave you speechless growing up in abject poverty to a single mother Surya found his calling in education which took him to Kathmandu the capital of Nepal and then Venezuela to the United States China and now back home He has built 34 schools in Nepal to educate the next generation If this doesn't spell out inspiration I just don't know what does It is my absolute pleasure and honor to be able to share Surya's story with you So without further ado, let's hear straight from him. You're listening to Millennial Musings with Anurag. Thank you for tuning in. Surya my brother, welcome to Millennial Musings. Um you know I've been looking forward to this day for such a long time. Um and I'm so glad uh, that you're finally on board, brother. No, thank you Anurag for having me on your show. I mean I've I've also been wanting to do this show for a very very long time <laughs> and just getting getting your invitation and being able to do it is is a very big privilege of mine itself. Thank you brother. It means a lot and honestly um for those of you who don't know because I anyway I post a lot about you so many people that follow me already know this. Uh but you're somebody that I really look up to my man and uh, you know how you've changed my life uh from ever since we met. Um but before we get to emotional over here Uh, I just want to go back to when we actually met for the first time. Um I don't know if you remember. Um mm-hmm. this was very much uh, on a bus in Beijing where <laughs> we were go- going to get a medical <laughs> test done. <laughs> yep. And and I was, was wondering man who, who is this guy? Like who is this guy? <laughs> and then we just sat next to each other and couldn't stop talking for the entire trip. You remember that? It was yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I guess that that was that was the time when 
when we were just going off to get the test for the visa thing, right? As yes. far as I know, at least for the Chinese residency stuff. And, um, you know, coming into Schwarzman Scholars program in China and, and being new, trying to find really, you know, people that you can really get to know more closely. Um, it was interesting. And I think on the bus, uh, just getting to sit beside you. Yeah. I was, to be honest, like I was thinking, am I going to get along with these people or not? Uh, you know, is, is the Schwarzman Scholars going to be a family for me? And um, I think that was uh, that was the first ever time we met and we hit off really, really well. Not only really well, I think we, we kicked it off really well. <laughs> we um, kicked it off really well. And I think that like no, no, yeah. basic, basically set the tone for the rest of the year where you and I and a couple of our other friends like Akshay, we were just completely inseparable throughout the year. And I think it speaks volumes that even after all these years, like we graduated in 2017, you know, and now we're sitting here in 2020 and... Um, I feel like you still are one of the closest people in my life and uh, that speaks a lot for the kind of connections the program was uh, allowed us to you know, build. But more importantly, the kind of uh, people you choose to become close to and want to be around, right? And you're definitely one of those people. I, I think not only, not only for the year, it was, I think it shaped the whole, I'd say it shaped my whole life because I wouldn't wait to uh, wake up in the morning and come knock at your door. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, not only that, and and you know the whole the whole program became a huge family, and Akshay, you know our small gang, we had a nickname. I think I think college gave us the the whole student body gave us a nickname. Some, if I if I remember. Yeah. What did they What, what did, did they, they call us? Yeah. Something, something. Something. Something about like being South Asian or brown or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Was it the brown dudes? Oh no no no! It was Pokemon. Remember? It was like Charmander. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charmeleon yeah. and Charizard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we were evolutions of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. No, that was. Um, though, to be to be honest, I think um, going into the program thinking whether or not I'm gonna find my place in it, and having you at that time when I was really vulnerable. Yeah. Um, literally, because you know, um, who, I I. I felt like I wasn't fitting in very well mm. uh, in the beginning. I was I didn't know why I was there. I mean, I knew why I was there for the education side, but the overall thing, I was feeling right. like, um, am I am I going to fit in? The, this you know the feeling of um, having these people that have accomplished so much in life, and you're like at crossroads, and and you just come directly to China, and and then you're thrown out into getting to know these people. Everybody's running around talking to everyone. And I'm yeah. sitting there, where do I fit in? And just that one spark of a moment sitting with you on that bus. And talk, we talked about so many different things. So um, many things. From man. your so work, much. from your work with, uh, you know, anti-terrorism to, to my work with schools. And we talked about non-profit, for-profit. I don't know. It was. I think um, that's that's what shaped the whole year, but also the the whole life cycle of of, of the friendship that were built there, and just to have you um, as someone that I can just call up today and say, dude, I'm in a huge huge problem. Um, yeah. I can you do something? Or calling up Akshay and saying, dude, I'm I I just need help. I don't know what to do. It, it's just I think a very big privilege, which comes as as of that moment uh, that we spend the time on the bus <laughs> <laughs> yeah it all but goes yeah. back to that brother um and and 
there, there are things about special friendships and special relationships that really stick out for me, you know, but um, but most importantly, I think it's about knowing who each other are, right? And I want mm-hmm. to use that segue to kind of talk about your background a little bit, which I, I honestly think is inspirational. Uh, but more importantly, it's it's allowed you to learn so much along the way and be the be the individual you are today, um, you know. And um, if you don't mind, like, can we can we talk a little bit about yeah. your child childhood and that journey to what made you um, move into education and do all the different wonderful things that you have been doing recently? Ooh. I think I know, um, it's, a, it's uh, a long way back. Huh? I, yeah. Um, and I've I've shared this with with you, Akshay, many of my close friends, and it would be an honor sharing with everyone. I was born in a very very um, poor family in a far away rural area of Nepal in the eastern part, and um, you know back then when I was born, food scarcity was a very big problem. We mm-hmm. didn't so we we had to transport salt from uh, the nearest town, which was like nine hours walk. And we had wow. to bring it on our back. So, like, you carried around 15 kilos to 30 kilos on your back and you came home. Um, that that was the commodity we would buy out in the in the market. And everything else you would try to grow. Rice was not a thing. We ate corn. Um, and mm. I think uh, growing up as a kid when, um, you know, edu- education was never never the first priority people thought of. So, like, you know, only, only the rich would go for education or right. the well-off have access to good education and the people that had access to the king of Nepal would have good education. Mm. Um, for me, um, where my mom being a single mother, I think she had early on realized that education was, was something that she wanted to try because her, um, our neighbor's son, um, uh, you know, our neighbor's son, neighbor was, um, he, he left the village to go study in a nearby town. And mm. I think my mom got inspired by that and she decided that, I had to get the education um, and she would drag me three hours every day to the school. So like when I wow. say drag, uh, yeah. if you imagine someone at the top of the hill, you had to get to the bottom of the hill, walk uh, across the hill to get to the school. So she would drag me down the hill because I hated going to school. So mm-hmm. um, three hours um, going to the school and three hours walk back. It it was, not, it was not fun. It was not fun. But, but I think... Um, Mom had realized early on that that was the thing that she wanted to get through. And and so um, from going on from, you know, being food insecure, not having that education, not really, not really having that hope for a future. Um, yeah. Because everyone in my family, in my village, went to Qatar, Saudi, Dubai or any other place where they had migrant labor. And, mm. I, you know, as a kid, I also used to dream that I wanted to become like my uncle. Like my uncle used to come every two years uh, on a holiday and he would bring these big cassette players. Correct. He would, they, yeah. would, like, yeah. they would play music and, and come. And I would be like, I'm going to be that one of one, one, one day. And, and when my mom pushed me to education, um, I didn't realize I was moving away from that particular dream and, and, and uh, thinking of a dream farther away from from you know, home, but also for, for home. And yeah. uh, so I, I, um, I came to Kathmandu, uh, in the capital of Nepal, and I studied here until uh, my grade 11, 12, and then yeah. subsequently went to um, Venezuela um, to study in something called United World Colleges. 
you know yeah sorry i just want to pause you for a second over yeah. there because uh, <laughs> i like there's this incredible moment that i still remember to this day again from our time at schwarzman college where i was walking around with you again these are the early days no one really knew each other that well you know you're kind of figuring out who is from where and what language everybody speaks and then like one evening i'm just seeing you just go off in spanish with all our spanish speaking you know scholars and i'm wondering like wait a second am i hearing right or like what what is going on over here you know <laughs> and, then, and and i had to like walk a couple times like to make sure that i wasn't seeing things and it was it, it was actually the truth but you were speaking fluently with everybody in <laughs> spanish and they were speaking to you like you were just from another latin american country um so yeah let's let's pause on that and talk a little more about like how did you find your way to venezuela um and and in fact also even maybe a step before that from your village yeah. school how did you end up getting to kathmandu in the first place so um i i think um, i was very fortunate to um receive a scholarship to study in the in the capital of nepal and so um throughout my life i i studied on a scholarship and um so that was that was how i got to kathmandu so i got someone you know selected me and then took me to kathmandu and 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 i was allowed to study there um and and not only that i think uh, when i was in grade 11 there uh, the the whole nation had selection process for something called united world colleges um mm-hmm. and people from my school uh, usually made it so they they got selected because um they would have had gone through a selection process they would come and then and then from there they had we had another round of selection done by a different agency called united world colleges of nepal so it's a national committee and um i applied to get selected to the to the program so that it was basically a scholarship that around 3 to 4 students would receive and then go out and finish their high school um somewhere in another part of the world Mm-hmm. and so um i applied to the program and i we went through three stages of selection and then i made it to the final and and also got offered a seat yeah. uh, which was in venezuela and um for the seat there was some amount that needed to be paid so like my ticket my uh, some some part of my fooding and all sort and the first governor of nepal offered to pay all of my cost oh, wow. um and i think you know when i was 8 years old somebody offered to pay my scholarship to study in kathmandu right, and right. when i was when i was 15 16 somebody offered to pay my education in in venezuela but he specifically said if i wanted to go or not so he basically asked if i wanted to go he would pay if i didn't want to go then um, that would be a choice i would make um the thing that came attached with if i wanted to go was i had to do my whole education in spanish now right <laughs> you you can imagine a nepali dude who spoke nepali and some english now being thrown into spanish and wow. um, but i <laughs> yeah and the i think the reason i had to take it on was because i was basically at crossroads um mm. when i say crossroads i was finishing my high school and staying in nepal would have meant i had to either do engineering or doctorate which is doctorate right. in sense medicine um that was the, that was that was what that's what is still famous in our part yeah. of the world and and expected um, and right like if you're a good student yeah, yeah. you're expected to become an engineer or a doctor or maybe even a lawyer 
Uh, yeah, but... and, and so I didn't know if I wanted to escape that. I didn't know if I wanted to stay here. I was I was confused because um, my mother didn't have money to for me you know mo- money to pay my engineering education nor medicine or anything at even if I stayed back if I studied something else um, my future looked very bleak and so right. um, I I thought you know a scholarship is a scholarship and I'm going to be working hard anyways and United World Colleges was an experience that you know brought in children and students from more than 100 countries to one place and I think I was I told myself I'm not the only one who's going to be thrown into the oven there's going <laughs> yes. to be more people so I might as well yeah. go get roasted and then and see if I come out surviving so um, I think come 2008 I, I basically said I will take on the scholarship and um, throughout I think life hasn't been very easy life hadn't and hasn't been that very easy throughout um i had to go to india uh, to get my visa and you know traveling from india to venezuela wow. was in itself a hassle because immigration in india wasn't that very friendly and mm. so getting to venezuela and knowing nobody spoke english was wow. was it was crazy so like you come to this immigration desk and and then you show this paperwork that said united world colleges of venezuela and that's when they just said oh you come for this okay you can just go in they asked me in spanish i didn't know what the hell they, they were asking oh, no. later on um and so when i went in there um and now i'm already scared right um of i'm course. scared for the fact that I could have stayed back and I could have just done general education and got a job and, and lived my life. And now here I am where I've decided that this is the right challenge for me to take on. And I'm I'm now in in so-called deep shit. And and so and and I'm I'm asking myself how do I get out of here? How do I overcome this? So I, I, I didn't see any other option than learning Spanish because Going back and coming, you know, coming back to Nepal was basically um, would have been seen as a failure, and also I think uh, I would have had my whole family, my society laughing at me because, right. as you know, like you know, right. the South Asian culture does not forgive failures. Um, and and so you felt uh, like also, you didn't have any option but to succeed at that point. Yeah, yeah, and so that's when I pushed and in. I think around 45 days, I was good in Spanish. I that I went there um, wow. around two two months in advance before the classes started. By the time classes started, I I understood almost everything except for, you know, some of the very heavy heavy words. Um, but I was I was a complete Venezuelan. People called me. I was a Bolivian and all sort. Um, I looked like Evo Morales back then, apparently, um, <laughs> which was. Which is not a compliment. <laughs> that, that is hilarious. But, but Surya, like, what, what do you think at that point when, you know, you're completely immersing yourself? You're, I, I, I understand that you were used to, like, not being around family from when you were eight years old. But mm-hmm. now you're not even around people that can understand you, you know, people that look like you or talk like you. So what were some of the initial struggles when you found yourself in Venezuela with no other option but to succeed? Uh, what were some of the initial challenges that you faced? Ooh, um, 
I think I had to find my people first. So the first challenge that I had to deal with was, you know, do I have some that I can call my people? Do I have some that I can somewhat associate with? And I'm sure I'm going to have more people that are going to have their own stuff to do. And so um, my roommate was from Sweden. And um, I had few Haitian and Cameroonese friends that had gone through the phase of not knowing Spanish and having, you know, they had overcome the Spanish hurdle. And so I, I basically, you know, went up to them and I accepted that I didn't have anything and I had to learn. I think I'm going to have to, you know, thank one of those. We used to have these Japanese JICA volunteers over in our school and mm. These people were very good at learning Spanish, even despite being old, so aged people. You know, they were they were pretty right. pretty, you know, up in the adulthood, and they would come and they would learn Spanish in like six seven months. And um, I think the interesting thing is, I had some locals that were my own people, so mm. they we I spoke through emotions while they spoke through words. And that's how we connected. Wow. And yeah. when that happened, they basically took me in as their own and made sure that I was thrown into situations where I had to learn. So, mm. um, for example, I think my first, first ever interaction with the Spanish, I used a Spanish word, Spanish sentence was going and buying a stationary product. So I had to go buy a file. And um, one of my friends said, go get a file. So they told me the whole sentence. Then I went and I told and then the dude gave me and then I started responding. And um, I mean, they they basically used that technique to even teach me salsa. And that was <laughs> insane. Like, like to literally, though, um, like they yeah. threw me in situations where I had no other option but to get out safely mm-hmm. um, from, you know, so I was thrown into, we, we used to go to these bars and nobody spoke English there and they would make me go order everything for the whole friend group. Right. <laughs> and then, Lovely. Now, and, and that's when I, when I basically forced myself not only to learn, but also to overcome that hurdle. And mm. I think another thing is I was, so coming from a very rural family um, and knowing that my family had gone through a lot of struggles, specifically my mother, um, was a gift for me, right? Mm-hmm. She had lost her first child, sorry, her, her third child because she didn't have $100 to treat him and then eventually was struggling with food insecurity, had me as the only hope, uh, had a sister to take care of, and yeah. despite that, she was still going on, was a very, very big inspiration for me. And um, I had to see her happy. I had to see her proud. And I think that's what kept me going and kept me working hard, kept me up late at night. And, and I would go talk to these kitchen workers who didn't speak English. So basically what right. I did is to, to learn Spanish, I had to talk to people that didn't speak English. And and so I would, I'd go make friends with them. I'd joke with them. They would teach me one word or two word. And I'd the the most interesting thing that I did was I would repeat everything everyone mm. said. So I was mm. like a parrot, right? And there was even a time when when and this is interesting because 
my Spanish, my language teacher, um, he he tried to teach me, but I, I'd say his techniques didn't really work on me, <laughs> so I'd repeat everything. And yeah. <laughs> my friend circles, they were pretty, pretty, you know, they, they they spoke slang, so I repeated slang and I learned the slang pretty well enough. <laughs> so <laughs> so I go up to this, go up to my professor and I, I basically tell him a whole sentence that <laughs> that did not <laughs> that did not oh, make no. good meaning so so <laughs> I think um, the vivid sense that and he basically asked me what are you trying to say <laughs> and I said well I learned this new thing professor what's up <laughs> and he said like um, you don't want to go tell this to everybody <laughs> So that was like a subtle warning, like make sure that you're learning the right things. <laughs> no, and I think I think that the interesting thing is somebody had to be there to correct me, but also um, my friends let me make mistakes, right? Yeah. But they were there to to help me and hold me at times where I was where I was becoming unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. They were making me, they were allowing me to make these safer mistakes where I where I learned on my own, and you know, I didn't. I didn't learn sentence structure in Spanish. I basically learned it by seeing others use the sentence structure, mm. and then later on realize, oh, that's that sentence structure. Okay, that's fine. Um, so it's almost as not, if you learned it top down instead of like bottom up. You know, like you yeah, learned yeah, yeah. the sentence and then you learned how to break it down instead of uh-huh. learning the basics and then going up. You know. And I mean that. It, it was it was a hectic time in Venezuela because as I was finishing my education, um, there was another challenge which was um, back then Hugo Chavez was the yeah. president and he was basically ramping up um, expropriation. So basically, mm-hmm. he was taking in everything that was privately held, um, and if they were not productive, he would just he was just taking he was just nationalizing everything, and our college was pretty much in his attention. So throughout oh, when wow. I was there, yeah, and yeah, no, when I was there throughout throughout my time there, uh, the college was fully under his attention. He wanted to get almost everything under the government's um, government's handling, which was not what United World Colleges was mm. uh, looking to work under. Because if that happened, then the United World Colleges would cease to function. So okay. imagine being in a situation where any time the government co- could come in and take the college and then you would you also had to handle your education you didn't know what was going to happen if you finished the schooling because mm. you know if the school closed your opportunities as united world college graduate were very you know bleak so yeah, so you yeah. you didn't necessarily make it through um, and and so in my final year the the college actually got um, taken over by the government um, oh, and wow. so that was yeah yeah no that was that was a very very big punch on my gut and then but but I think I think the interesting thing is um, uh, going into the United World Colleges I had I hadn't realized it was a very big support structure mm. uh, because there there were around 13 colleges back then and anyone who went to a United World College um, was you know, intended for big things. When when yeah. I say big things, it had a support system that none of the other institutions around the world had. So when my college got taken over by the government, I was already in my final year and almost completed. So 
we were declared completed and then as United World College graduates, we had access to this big scholarship um, mm. that provided you know, us further opportunities in the US. Uh, so basically Davis United World College scholars, they called. And yeah. I, you know, I applied to something called College of the Atlantic in Maine and uh, they open-handedly accepted how I thought. So, you know, I was, I was at crossroads. So I had, uh, because I didn't want to become a doctor, engineer, anything. I wanted to uh, create and transform systems. And that's what yeah. I told College of the Atlantic. And it was interesting because we were a very perfect fit. College of the Atlantic is a tiny college in Maine with only 300 to 320 students overall. So like all of his undergraduate classes, even including graduate students. And I think just College of the Atlantic saying we want you was in itself a a rescue plan for me. You know, Mm. imagine your college just got shut down. You thought you were going to make it from there into a life for better opportunities it got mm-hmm. shut and then now you're again back at crossroads so like people don't know my college is shut but if people in nepal know that my college was shut then people would be laughing they'd be making fun yeah. of the failure they're making saying things about how the college shut and then my life is coming to an end and now i'd go into mental health issues mm-hmm. um unreal man no but as the school got shut i think um, the head of the national committee was also the first governor of nepal basically came into rescue and he said you know congratulations you've made it through united world college now it would be another step that you're going to take and so i just basically went into applying to the us got the scholarship and (laughs) i think that was the biggest relief because um i was i was scared Uh, that was when i was getting involved with um, a group of friends of mine to establish mm. Nepal's first free private school, and um, and that's that's when I was writing the application to College of the Atlantic, and I told them wow. I wanted to create and change systems, and and that's when I got accepted to College of the Atlantic. I was just like that's a perfect match and perfect plan for me, and so yeah, yeah. from there and on, I think uh, every decision has been um, highly connected to how I want to get things done in the world and in my country yeah. and uh, yeah no every everything has been a hurdle i would definitely say that so i mean it's very interesting that you say like when you were in your late teens early 20s you already knew that what you wanted to do was change systems right and especially back home um you know when i think about a lot of people that i know that have come from uh situations that demanding or challenging situations the first opportunity that they get to get away from their country, um, they grab onto it and then they never return, you know. Uh, But on the other hand, from you, I know that ever since you left, you've been thinking about how you could go back and change things and make Nepal better. But I was just wondering, like, where does that come from and where did it come from initially? What was that initial seed that was germinating in your head about the things that you wanted to do and how you wanted to do them? You know, when <laughs> this is this this is something um, I I always think of uh, not the not the fact that how it came into my mind I wanted to do something. It's just I I've I felt like every time I received an opportunity, um, there were others that didn't receive it. Mm. Right. So, 
for example, when I got the first scholarship to study, I've, you know, I was taking away the opportunity from someone else. And when I went to Venezuela, I took another opportunity from someone else that would have gotten that. And there was always someone to support me, someone to help me, someone to guide yeah. me, and opportunities that could, you know, they, they were meant to make me uh, receive opportunities that many others would not receive. So, like, uh, for example, you know, getting into uh, a finance firm, working for them, very few people would probably have access to that. Uh, whereas I was, you know, coming from an economics background and and having learned the the business of of doing business i think mm-hmm. going and doing you know a job at somebody's firm was already the minimal thing that i could get with the opportunities that i received yeah. and yeah. i think it was in when i when i returned back from venezuela and i spent time with my mother I think um, back then my mom didn't know my college had closed down and my maternal uncle was very proud that I had made it back from Venezuela, you know, because he had put in some money to help me. And he yeah. said, you know, of my of our whole family, you're you're the biggest pride for us. You you wow. guide us. You take us through this. And when my mom basically told that she was very proud of the fact that I've made it out of you know, I've made it out into into a smaller pool of people with bigger opportunities. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it struck really, really, really hard. Uh, not in the negative way. Um, I felt very privileged. It was, yeah. it was an opportunity I think very few people around the world receive. And you know, you you can relate to this. I mean, I, I don't necessarily yeah. have to explain this. Like you know, Schwarzman scholars, six thousand, seven thousand people, and hundred of us get selected. Like imagine that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, life-changing, um, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so when my mom basically said, "I'm very proud of you for you having been one of those very few people with the biggest opportunities in lives," mm. basically, you know, I looked at my maternal uncle and my mom, and I, I asked my maternal uncle, "What is it one thing that you'd like to see?" Yeah. And uh, me too, right? And then he basically said, um, "Do something that." satisfies you but also look beyond yourself right and and i think my mom echoed my my maternal uncle and said um don't steal don't lie um just think the best for everyone and share the you know big hundred percent pie that you have with everyone because at the end of the day and this is what i always stick to which is uh you can only earn people Money is something that will deplete, will go away. And eventually, once it goes away, the only ones that will be left with you will be your people. So, um, yeah. and and that's when when she, when she I was struck really hard, which is um, I'm, I'm going to invest in, in getting to know people, invest in creating a future for people. And for me, the future didn't mean I wanted to become a politician. For me, the future didn't mean... I wanted to transform this country, creating very, very big things. It was very, very small. I wanted to, I wanted to basically educate some children that had my past, and yeah. that wanted to make a future for themselves and their families. And that was where I wanted to start. So 
when I was 18 um, and I got the chance to team up with really, really uh, four really good people. You know, they invited me over. Um, I had just finished my schooling in Venezuela. I knew some agriculture. Mm. I created agricultural models. And so, you know, they had already started the school with some children. And when they invited me over and I had that opportunity to, to tag along and create this big thing, um, they were called My Universe Academy. They still exist. And and so that opportunity came along and I told myself, I am here applying to college, you know, to go get into a college in the U.S. And I have yeah. this opportunity and I want to make the most out of it. And so when I basically when got that opportunity, I chimed along and that was the first ever, uh, you know, life-changing uh, thing that came across my life yeah. uh, yeah. after Venezuela because um, I, I was I was with these very energetic young people that wanted to provide free education to poor people in rural areas and that was private education and for mm. free and um, you know the government wasn't doing anything for these for these very very destitute underprivileged people in faraway rural areas and we were wanting to do it and it was free and we had a model and so what you know what what better opportunity could there be for me to you know hear people's problems try to solve it and provide some education to some people that had my past and so i think that's when my journey started and yeah. from there and from there and on um <laughs> doing a regular job was not a thing so um so I, I to be to be honest i think um in 2009 after our country in 2006 when we became a new republic right mm -hmm. so our mm -hmm. kingdom got the king got thrown in 2006 we had uh, uh, you know the constituent assembly and and everybody were excited and also in 2009 we were going through this political turmoil and i was asking myself if everybody is fighting for a piece of the big cake which is nepal who is fighting to make equitable you know, distribution. And so yeah. when I got that opportunity in the schooling thing, I, I said, I'm going to try this out and I'm going to see if I can do something to transform this, something, you know, some of the areas of the country. So, And, and what was do, your role initially with this organization? Um, so I was co-founder and institution, uh, director of institutional development. So mm. basically I was responsible for raising funds and also ensuring that the uh, farm that we had where we produced a lot of uh, products sold it and ran the school was functioning very well and okay. also responsible with the fundraising was responsible for expansion and um, you know going into that with that role taking it on and going into college of the atlantic it was amazing because college of the atlantic was a platform that that provided me with so much resources support and freedom because um i was this this you know coming back from venezuela i was filled with uh, rage rigor frustration mm. and i wanted to channel that and when i got the opportunity in the with the team that i was working with in the schools and going into college at the atlantic and being paired up with a with a mentor who's been with me throughout my life, uh, Jay Friedlander. Um, I I could not have asked for a better better friend, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he was he was a highly accomplished professor of business. 
and and systems thinker, right? And so yeah. I when I get to College of the Atlantic, that's my first trip to the U.S. and I'm paired up with, um, you know, I go to his class. Um, I think it's called Business and Nonprofits Basic or something. Okay. And that's the first class I take, and I'm like, okay, um, I want to explore how to transform my country with business, right? Because mm. from the get-go, I'm thinking about coming back to Nepal. I'm thinking this is where the country needs me. This is where my mom is. This is where my family is, and me being yeah. away basically will mean that whatever I've done from my age eight up until now is what I'm going to continue. And I wanted to continue to create opportunities back home. And because I had, that, uh, you know, co-founder and institutional de- development director, I continued my role. I fundraised. And with the support of my mentor, I was able to raise quite a significant amount in the first in, in about a year, which is like around seven, sixty, seventy thousand oh, dollars, and wow. I was, yeah, no, and I was, I was basically like, okay, well, I'm, I'm here. I'm, seems like this is my forte. I'm gonna create resources for my country throughout my time here, and also create solutions to problems that my country faces. And so I took classes that brought me joy, that supported my strength. Uh, and also identified my weakness. So Jay Friedlander was my was my mentor from the freshman year up until now and more than more than now I'm pretty sure. Wow. But he basically was a sounding box. Like to be honest, you yeah. know, I would go up yeah. to him and every day I had a new idea. Every day, right? Every day I was like, so I'm going to build this charging station in Nepal where people would bring their rickshaws and then charge their batteries and I would earn money from it and I would support families. And Jay would be sitting there and he would go, okay, so have you thought about this? So like, you know, how big is your customer? Um, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure the government is willing to accept your solution? Are you sure the petroleum you know, um, uh, company is going to be fine with what you're trying to propose. If it, you know, scales up, are you, do you think you can handle? Do you have right people? And mm. I think, and, and around the second year, I fell off with my team, right? So the first venture that I was associated with, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that we had some co-founder issues, which probably, you know, it came out of my energy and all sort. But, um, you know, we had some issues and I I was at crossroads. I was basically tell, asking myself if I wanted to even continue creating solutions to problems right. because that's when I felt like, you know, in Nepal itself, I'm not going to have a team. I'm not going to have a support system. How do I even think about coming to Nepal now? Mm-hmm. But I think that was when Jay basically, you know, took me out of that that swamp. He basically said, you know, you created a stable system. It is sustaining. You're successful. Now what? And then that's basically when I said, well, I can create more solutions. I can more create. I can create more things that are sustaining, and that would be my job. That would be my yeah. job to, you know, create ventures that had people that would work, that would sustain, and I would move on to new things. But then eventually, all the systems together would help better this country together and so you know Jay basically asked myself if I was ready to even work for a private company or any <laughs> any firm that was going to hire right. me and do a nine-to-five job 
and so yeah, when he said that and and one one interesting thing about college of the atlantic is um they provided resources for you to go around the world and explore stuff so i mm. i went on a travel journey to denmark um i went on another travel journey to uh germany and when i went there i realized there was so much that my country needed and my country right. could do with right and so that's when i founded i decided to propose um to jay because i needed his support throughout the time for the college mm. to approve i said i wanted to establish a foundation in the us and um the foundation would be responsible for doing sustainable development in nepal which was yeah. a concept that was going on around the world back then the negotiations for united nations sustainable development goals were happening yep. SDGs, and yeah. yeah and so and i was into climate change back then quite a lot so i i negotiated for something called there's there's an agency um supported by the UN called UNLDC watch so it's basically a conglomerate of around 47 countries they had a body that that negotiated in climate change so the cop you know um yeah the, the big meeting that happens where they negotiate different things like the paris agreement i had an opportunity to go basically you know negotiate on behalf of the 47 at least propose policies on behalf of the 47 countries and then the wow. 47 countries try to try to take it together now i was not a big That's shot amazing, i was just working right so but then i when i went to that and i realized that was not my forte so like i got frustrated very easily i said i told myself there were you know things like do you cut carbon or do you not cut car- not cut carbon that's a very straightforward question right if your family house is burning you don't ask do you you know put off the fire or do you do something else right you put off the fire that's very yeah. simple um and when when i saw that you know these people were not getting together to even agree on one small thing i am going to be here getting old and trying to propose and achieve something which many have achieved by the way and i i don't discredit anything that people have done for me the important thing is i was not meant for it i was not meant for going out there and writing um policies that policies maybe everyone would yeah. agree yeah and so so that's when i told jay that is not my forte um i want to create solutions again and i established so, so wait surya let's just take a step back real quick because uh yeah, yeah. even even in when it comes to the whole um education space in nepal right like even in your first go around with uh, uh you know being a co-founder with the other organization what what were the biggest challenges in education in nepal at that time like i just want you to set the stage a little bit <laughs> before we before we go on to what you ended up building with jay uh, and what you're doing right now yeah no um So in 2013 when I separated from my first venture which was an educational venture um I returned back at the end of my you know uh, sophomore year and then I was here working with uh, with the with the former prime minister of Nepal uh, who's also now a very very wonderful political mentor to me his name is Madhav Kumar Nepal and um, he's one of those really loved respected politicians which barely happens in Nepal by the way yeah, um, yeah. and i had the so, pleasure of meeting him thanks to you so uh, <laughs> truly truly an absolute yeah. gentleman yeah 
And so I, I, I worked with them in 2013, and I also did a research for Action Aid Nepal. So it's a it's an INGO, uh, uh, you know, has a has headquarters around the world or offices around the world, and works in many different parts of the world doing poverty elevation, climate change, and many other things. And so when I these two things actually inspired me because um, with Action Aid I I got the opportunity to go back to my my home district home district and and um, and then when I went to my home district in my in my village where I was born that's what struck me the biggest because um, mm. I was uh, I I had this opportunity to witness a class in the school that i studied in so wow uh, when i was seven years old and i went to this public school in my village which is the three hours walk and i had the opportunity to witness the class that i used to take there was my teacher from back then that was part teaching right right now interestingly back when we were studying our classes were filled now in that very school in grade 3 the number of children that were there were very low and wow. then i had this i basically interacted with the principal and i asked him you know what's going on how is it going and you know as a principal he was pretty proud that i was a student of his and blah blah all of the all of the things and all of the good things that teachers always sure. say when when find this to really right. you know at least coming back and remembering so that's when that's basically when i asked him and he said every year we have these door to door campaigns we go these to homes we register them we bring in the enrollment figures but because we don't have the updated education that is required for this century um, we have been losing children so that's when i started researching a little bit more uh, with mm-hmm. action aid and then i came to realize that you know if 100 children enrolled in grade 1 in a nepali school nepali public school only 25 remained in grade 8 oh wow oh. and that was shocking that was that basically yeah. that, that threw me off and i was just like wait so i am even i'm i'm like 1% of the 25 because of the 25 after grade 8 13 of them do not make it past grade 10 so you only have 12 people or even 11 that make it to grade 11 right and these yeah. stats are staggering because 75 do not receive any support these people are the ones that go work as migrant labor around the world or get exploited if they are women um in a get get trafficked if they are women uh, yeah. get sexual abuse if they are women if they are male if they are young they will be child labored all of those things right and for me it was eye opening now i mean i could have just said you know it was the government that had to do the job it was not my, none of my job because my my future is secured i couldn't do anything about the because the problem was too big now think about yeah. this yeah. if 100 people 100 children enroll only 25 remained in the whole country i i couldn't solve that and i you know i i was basically telling myself that's none of my problem mm-hmm. um but, but the interesting thing that i learned working with action aid was nepal was receiving quite a lot of money from around the world 
and because everybody loved this country everybody loved its people everybody knew the about culture the culture and story and everything yeah absolutely and so so knowing that and the country receiving so much aid i realized there was another major problem which was money that was flowing into this country in education wasn't utilized or put to use properly right and education was basically 12% of the total aid that the country received so which imagine a pot right and so and you had the biggest problem in education and, and so is it was it that the money was just not trickling down it wasn't like i i even found out cases where um there was this family where they received scholarship money the in the proposal the scholarship money was 100 dollars per month or mm-hmm. i think every 3 months and the family only received 20 my goodness and they were made to sign a paper that said 100 right and wow. that was mind boggling right i was just like the amount of corruption that goes into this system is affecting every person and specifically the ones that actually are being deprived and so i was at crossroads i was just like wait so i have this very lucrative job that i might get offered in a very good organization i'd probably be making around 4 to 5000 which is 60000 a year in yeah. you know in the south asian continent and i am here understanding that the 60000 is going to be taken away from the people that are at the bottom right and mm-hmm. now add a twist to that which is the 75% because they have not had good education now are going to be manipulated are going to be used for wrong issues are going to be politicized are going to have issues of ethnic wars are going to be you know used as cadres and are going to be you know thrown into further poverty now yeah. knowing that and coming from that very circle so like when i told you that i went back to the same school right where i was a student mm-hmm. where only very handful that have made it to a good education yeah when i say handful that would probably be around 25 or 30 maximum of 50 people in a very 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 big pool and so and and i'm imagining about transforming this country creating businesses when the country is not yet ready for business environment right. because yeah. for a stable government for a stable system for a stable uh, environment for anything to function you need to have a population that is able to make decisions on their own and my people were not were were de- deprived of that right imagine being in a society where you're going to drop out and now because you're going to drop out you don't know the difference between you know what someone says and what someone means right yeah. a a, po- yeah. a political party could come in and say your rights are being taken away by this political party and that's when that's basically when you know that's basically when i came in and said i'm i'm going to work to to hopefully you know get some people out of that 75 and that's that's when when my journey started i said i'm not going to take and 60, that's 000. and that's that's insane to me because when again as you said right when you think about the scale of the problem and the size of it 
and you as a 20 early 20 something just out of college coming in and saying that wait a second i can't close my eyes to this you know suffering that's happening or this atrocity and the fact that education the people are stealing from education despite nepal getting all this money and so that alone you know like tells me so much about you where it seems like there is a wider purpose and that purpose is to uplift your people and your country so did you think at any point that do, do you think that one of the reasons that you resonated so much with all these children and the issue when you went back and visited the school was the thought that you could have been one of those that didn't get that opportunity <laughs> i mean i, I was Uh, to you know i was i was bound to be one of those it was just mm. one particular day when my mom said you're not staying here that was the day i my my fortune changed like mm. you know my closest relative which is uh, my sister's my my mother's sister's son uh, yeah they had access to schooling but didn't have the same schooling that i had so right mm. now they're working in in the gulf and they already are married have children now wow because they didn't access the schooling that i had uh and i was very you know i was just living close to their house my life was the same as theirs we ate the mm. same thing the only difference we had throughout was that one day when i had the access to come and study in the capital of nepal and like you know just to give you a context um today like you know because the schooling was is in a state of emergency like that's what i would say state mm, of emergency mm. covid you know the recent crisis in itself is is an example of where this country is headed we do not have enough nurses we do not have enough enough infrastructure we do not have enough doctors we do not have the right kind of leaders we do not have enough you know good you know thoughtful thinkers we do not have these good decision makers due to which we are currently stuck as a country and with the covid coming in this country is headed for a long 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 haul in poverty and to be to be to be frank like to literally just to say had it not been for education that yeah. i spent the opportunities the belief that some of the scholarships that provided me you know um i'd say himalay samshir was the first governor of nepal and then uh, davis was uh, you know philgair and shelby davis who believed in the fact that you know i went to united world college and then they could continue to support my schooling colleging mm. in the us and then schwarzman scholars steve schwarzman amy all my friends believing in the fact that i was worth it had it not been for these people and the institutions that i went through my life i'll tell you what really my life w- would have been my mother would have continued to live in the village that we lived in i would have gotten married um maybe had four to five children um mm-hmm. and you know supported my family now working in malaysia maybe or qatar um and then sending back remittance money to support my family you know always yeah. hanging hanging by the rope anytime it cuts off you're done um and living in subsistence what would would have been my would have been my thing and so i think uh, back then when i realized the sheer scale of problem for me um it was my my cousin brother that really related to my my thinking um i was in my 
junior year and I was at crossroads of whether or not I wanted to even put my foot into solving a problem like the education sure. crisis in Nepal. And when I saw my cousin brother who was already in the verge of, you know, going into a bigger crisis than I was, I basically told myself, uh, today I could be making $60,000, but tomorrow I could be helping hundreds and thousands of people to make even $6,000. And that was probably where I told myself that this problem is mine. It is not somebody else's. I have seen mm-hmm. it. Many have seen it. Many have tried to act on it, or many have probably said it is not a problem I can solve. Um, and when I went back to back after my summer vacation working with ActionAid in Madhukuma, Nepal, I basically talked to Jay and said, uh, this is the crisis I'm going through. Uh, I do not know what to do. And he basically said, you all, you already know what you need to do. Um, I can't convince you otherwise, you know, to go and work for someone else or not. It's already in your head. Having yeah. known, having, you know, uh, having known you for two years, I can only say you're, you already have something in your mind. Just tell me, what are you thinking of? And so that's because it was very close to me. And it, I could have been literally like, I definitely would have been one of those 75 who would have dropped out before the eighth grade. And that was a no doubt, right? No brainer that I would have mm-hmm. dropped out. Um, because there was no support system and I hated going to school. My mother, you know, was the only one who wanted me to go to school. And so, you know, had I stayed in my village, I would have definitely not ended up anywhere where I have been so far. So, yeah. Wow, man. So, so how did you go about setting up your foundation then? Let's get to the meat of the stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Jay was very instrumental in it. Literally, I, I basically, when I was in college, I would uh, do my work study. I had my scholarship money. And yeah. um, and then um, I saved the money to send home so that my mother would have cash to support herself, my sister's mm-hmm. education. Uh, I was doing that, you know, post uh, going, to, going to the U.S. and... Every month, I'd send around three, four hundred, seven hundred dollars um, whenever I could. And um, when I went back in my junior year, I basically, uh, you know, was thinking how could I solve an issue that was in Nepal from from the U.S. And I was pretty good at good at um, fundraising. And yeah. uh, I had recently received back then um, an award from Prince Charles and the Unilever, the mm. company, um, and. I think that basically provided me a, a platform where I could talk about issues that were very close to me. And right. when I talk, yeah, and when I when I talked about them, uh, there is this family foundation in in I think it's in New Jersey, and uh, they called um, CTC Family Foundation. And mm-hmm. <laughs> they basically emailed me saying, "How could we support you?" Because uh, oh, an wow. article. Yeah, no, an article about me came in the CSM, Christian Science Monitor. Science Monitor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that that became a very, very big hit. And so uh, since then, the Christian, um, the CTC Family Foundation has been with me throughout my journey. And they said, we want to, yeah, and we want to give you $5,000. Where can we send it? And and then I I had other supports uh, coming in through and saying, you know, uh, we really liked uh, how you're very passionate about an issue. How can we support you and all the? So I talked to Jay and I said I want to try to you know build an organization that 
would channel all of the support that I'm trying to receive and institutionalize it. And so, and when I, I took a class with him called Business Strategies, and that's when I got down to working on the structure of a foundation, the programs that it would work on, and how it would work. So I basically said I'd focus on sustainable development through you know, focus on agriculture, education, and sustainable energy. All of these three things coupled together would mean people are sustained, they would make their own decision, they would have their own livelihood and all sorts. And that was specifically focused on on Nepal. And right around there, I got uh, an opportunity for a fellowship with the International Youth Foundation. They only selected 20 people. And because the Christian Science Monitor article was pretty hit uh, and my mentor was very supportive of everything that was going on, I got the nomination and I actually made it through to the fellowship. And I think that provided me another platform to jump uh, next level. So I used my, I I didn't have the money to pay a lawyer. So I basically, um, what I did in my junior year after coming back from Nepal is I worked uh, pretty hard i saved up around twelve hundred dollars and then mm-hmm. i applied for a credit card interesting right u.s credit card all of those discover yeah. actually kudos to discover discover actually gave me a credit card and then they gave me a good good credit line and i basically used the credit card to yeah. to uh, pay a law firm to establish a 501c3 voila the 501c3 <laughs> came came back approved in you know, around three week time, and I was just there. Wow, everything is falling into place. And um, I talked to Jay, and Jay was excited, and he was pretty surprised that the 501c3 got established. Right. And so all of the support started getting channeled into into Diallo, uh, and Diallo means hopeful light, and that's what I mm-hmm. wanted to be. And I didn't want it to be um, surrealite. I wanted to be something that was reasonably very associative to everybody supporters yeah. as well as the beneficiaries and so that's when the allo came into place and um, i said i'm going to build my first school because that was what i that is that is what i knew how to do from my time when i was working with my team when i was 18 years old and so i basically told myself that's what i'm going to do and that's what i'm good at so i uh, we raised no, the first time I saved some money, this is what I can say, because the first time the money came through through CTC Foundation and people, everyone around, uh, the money that I had collected was around $11,000. And um, I wanted to build a school that was, you know, uh, a centered around a community rather than around me. And mm. so I came back to Nepal and, um, you know, me being this naive young dude <laughs> in my who just finished his you know junior year in in college in the US he comes back and he's like okay well you're going to build this you're going to build that and then yeah. i realized i was taking the wrong wrong approach mm. so i went to this community and i basically um, when i went before i went to the community i met my maternal uncle a cousin maternal uncle his name is Kemras Khadkar right and so yeah. he he had heard of me once upon a time working to build schools in another part of the country which was when I was 18 years old and I was supporting yeah. the growth and we had gone to three schools and he wanted to talk to me about similar thing in the district and I already had something in mind which is I wanted to do around community and so 
he when i approached him and i said let's build a school and then let's see where we go on from there and uh, yeah and that's when that's when i uh, used up my saving uh, which was $7000 uh, to buy a piece of land uh, you know I, it was probably 1/6th of an acre and mm-hmm. i said this is where we can build a school i talked to kem and i said this is where we will build a school and then we'll provide education to the next generation that will eventually transform the country for the further generations of the country and you know kem was very excited and we he looked out for the land it took him like 6 months but he found the land wow. and i did <laughs> you know i transform i transferred the $7000 my mom came did the paperwork gave the land to the school so in the school's name Right. And right. that's when that's that was my seven thousand dollar investment, but not a return for me, but a return for the community. Correct. And I realized early on that I was not very knowledgeable about talking to community. So I asked Kem if he mm. could do all of the talking on behalf of us, and because I was very energetic, hyped up, I would get frustrated very easily. <laughs> I didn't necessarily like slow yeah. things, and so. uh coming from that western education and then trying to blend it with the eastern culture was difficult so because yeah, so i needed I, somebody who had like the the cultural context and the understanding of how things ran on the ground <laughs> i needed someone who could basically mediate because yeah. i <laughs> early, early on i really i i i basically scrambled uh through through the through speaking about the solution so i could not explain the solution in their own language so therefore i was losing the support right when i brought in the idea of the school and i proposed it to the community the community were excited about the school but not the idea of how the school would run right right and because i was not able to explain them well they were not really buying it and so i when i went back to the us and i stayed quiet for around 6 7 months i realized <laughs> that i hadn't done it the way it should have been done i had to be theirs because they were already realizing that i had moved away from my village to right. kathmandu to the us and now coming back directly to the village they would not accept me and so that's yeah and they're wondering like why are you the one telling them what to do especially oh, since yeah, you yeah, have yeah yeah absolutely they were like you return back from the us to change us to transform our lives we can't trust you right it's because and they were they were more like suspicious of the fact that i was looking to be a politician which is right. not, which is not what i wanted to do and yeah. so <laughs> so yeah no and and that's that's basically when everything started $7000 investment from my own end and we got the land the school has the land now and uh, the $11000 that we had collected that i had collected in the us were increasing we had around $15000 and i was telling myself $15000 should do it we can we can build a whole school and when i told kem that we can build a whole school he was surprised that $15000 could build a school um which is yeah. which is not really true uh, but 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 for me for me it was not impossible i basically told kem that it is possible but in order for this to school for the school to be functioning the community community needs to own it and so i told him to speak to people to contribute 30% of the total you know construction budget not in terms yeah. of money 
but in terms of in-kind labor and wood. So once right. the labor and wood was covered, $15,000 would build the school. That was the model. Oh, and yeah, and so... And, so and 15, but how did you get the structure of the school and the architecture and all of that? Uh, um, interesting. <laughs> in college... <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just... Everything happened in the College of the Atlantic. I right. took a took a, a design class, so we had to take we had to take uh, arts classes to fulfill requirements. And I was putting it off to the final year so that I do, yeah, I was not worrying about stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and I was just like, so I, basically, I got busted in my junior year because my credits I had to fulfill other requirements as well as arts requirements. So I took Introduction to Architecture or something like that, okay. and yeah, and there I worked with my professor, um, and I asked Jay to basically talk to my professor, the class professor, to allow me to work in my school project. And she said, mm-hmm. "Well, we're going to be covering basics of architecture. We can, you know, he can, he can, as his final project, he can design something that he'd like to see built." And so <laughs> that's when that's when I came up with the you know somewhat basic design of the of the school but that eventually wow. yeah that eventually i passed it on to my engineer friend who is a very close friend of mine manjit uh, pandey and he basically uh, made sure that the whole structure was in line with the code of the country mm-hmm. in line and actually could be built so uh, i'd only take half credit for it but the full credit goes to manjit and uh, and so that's where the school design came. It was a it's huge design. It's ridiculous to me that you built it. You, you technically built not just your foundation, but also the school from the ground up yourself. Like you have a hand at even designing the structure. Like that's, that's incredible, man. <laughs> Which uh, for people that don't know, like it's a very distinct structure, right? Like it's very noticeable yeah. <laughs> that it's a school that is in your network of schools that you've built with yeah, the, yeah, with the yeah. r- red roofs and you know all those specific things that you guys have going on no 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 and this is this is because uh, credits to jay by the way um he always talked about this thing and which is i i probably took it to heart which is whatever you build in life um mm. you know make sure it is uh, unique in its service in its appearance in its look, in its feel. And um, right. that's what I applied to the architecture. And I said, we wanted to create safe space for children. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, basically, even if it's a school in a very far away rural area, it does not have to be low standard and low quality and low look. Yeah. And that's where that's what many other nonprofits were doing, building basic infrastructure. Just because they were underprivileged does not mean they can't have something high quality with low cost. And um, it took some time, but we fi- eventually figured it out. And so it's a, it's red because we wanted people to realize it's UWS schools mm-hmm. or built by uh, built by our team, yeah. and that you know it's a school identified from far. And people know there's a school nearby. It's safe heaven when there are dr- when there is a disaster, earthquake, anything. Mm. Um, and it has enough space to you know accommodate 200 to 300 mm. students as well as 500 people during the during a disaster. And wow. 
that's that's the approach we took we didn't want to be mediocre we wanted to be very very high standard and yeah <laughs> as you say it's uh, you know a, a dream come true i would say um and i wouldn't necessarily have done it had it not been for the people that have made me who i am from the people that supported me in my scholarship to the team that makes everything that happens that that we're really talking about right now um yeah. i'm and you know like had it not been for you for akshay for sarah for for dan for juliana all of you that you know uh, have supported in 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 the school in 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 schwarzman scholars program andrew everybody who have actually you know owned what i what i said you know yeah. for example um i get inspiration from my people and having that um you know be reciprocated to me saying this is going well do you want to analyze this you know andrew saying i'm going to sit on your board i'm going to help you uh, was already a big thing and a big inspiration for me because i was i was at crossroads always you know always standing at crossroads and there's always someone to support so so literally yeah i've i've had some hand in, in doing <laughs> so let's fast forward then surya let's talk about this this first school that you built what has it led to now can we can we talk a few statistics number of schools uh, number of students number of places amount of money raised awards won <laughs> there's a lot lot to talk about <laughs> um no i um i'd say i've 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 earned more people mm. after the first school was built yeah and um, the number of people i have earned and i have felt like i've formed part of the groups is is quite a huge uh, huge number uh, we built 34 schools already uh, wow. two under construction and and just one more thing surya like when did you yeah. build the first school that was in 2016 wow the, in in about 4 years you built 34 schools yeah yeah no that's a Yeah that's that's, that's massive that's big, man that's big yeah <laughs> hey, talk about introspection <laughs> during covid and this is that that's a big one 34 schools in four years oh uh, uh, yeah wow. no wow. Um, and how many students hey, um that's we've got 5200 and something students and 1000 of them had already made it i would say 800 of them have already made it to grade 9 so wow. um that's that's around uh, 87% retention rate so we still have around 13 13% that leave school but 13% i think around 7% go on to you know better schools than ours right. um so we are really only losing very minimal and and uh, we're still trying to improve on that we've got uh, our own share of uh, things to improve among which is uh, you know trying to understand why children some of the children are leaving um every year we spend around i would say 700 to 800,000 dollars and and thanks to thanks thanks to the whole team i hear in the uk um that have really made everything possible for us here in nepal um i am i am not alone in this in this goal in this vision in this mission um you know uh back then when it was starting maybe um i you know there was me standing uh standing hoping that people would be there to support but uh, just the fact that 
you know there's a team of more than a uh, hundred that that are willing to jump on say we're going to own the vision take it forward it's a it's a very big thing so a total of around 150 people work every day to make this vision happen from uh, teachers we support to teachers we train um, to fellows to education officers to the coordinators to the directors and and everyone you know most of all i think um, I'm, I, I think I'd, I'd never forget is is the people that have trusted in in the vision that that has been set forth uh, to transform lives of the children through access to education. Right, uh, these people that you know have their hard-earned money, hoping to do something good, and just the fact that these people have believed in our team's ability to deliver, you know, the kind of education that many don't have is already in itself a privilege and uh, you know we've i would say that's the biggest number for me um that's the biggest 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 number where where you know i look back and i say every day there are many people uh wanting to support the cause we've we've built and um the children that we support and so i think more than just the numbers i would say the lives that have that are living far away uh, for example, in the UK, in the US, the donors that live far away from the problem, yet still wanting to support the solution is in itself a very, very big thing for us. Um, and they are transforming lives of these people that, you know, would not otherwise have had access to opportunities, which now they will probably have. Yeah. And so, yeah, for um, for me over the past four or five years, it's only been transformation of my own very life. I have I have seen witness stories that uh, make me want to every day wake up. And even if I had the chance to go back on and earn millions, I would still do this because I feel like there's someone else that could earn the million and provide me some that I could make to ensure that we produce more people that would transform this earth, this country. And so, yeah five years Absolutely. numbers yeah yeah and it's and it's so lovely to see that journey unfold you know like being your friend and seeing that happen before our eyes and i know you don't like talking about this because um you're a, you're a very humble man but um i still remember one of like um the few <laughs> times that you have allowed us to celebrate you is while we were in uh, China and we got news and we didn't share it with everybody, only, only with a few people initially. When yeah. we got news that um, you were a Forbes 30 under 30, mm-hmm. um, which is is tremendous, man. And you know, it 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 in a in a society in a world that values accomplishments and titles and ranks and names, it it really is um, something truly remarkable. But knowing you, I know that none of those matter because for you, it's always about the everything that you just mentioned. You know, the students, the people that you acquired, the family, and all of those. Um, but knowing that a few of my listeners would be excited to know about the different kinds of <laughs> uh, accomplishments and awards <laughs> that you have accumulated over the years, um, can, can you mention uh, a few of the few of those that have given you uh, and your cause a lot of visibility? Yeah, the, um, I've been I've been very fortunate, like you've said. Um, one of my biggest awards that I've ever received would be um, the Schwarzman Scholars Program because um, uh, it's transformed my life in ways that I had not imagined. 
um, you know, being selected among the first 110 to receive the scholarship uh, and to study in China uh, with, you know, among 6,000 people to be selected into that. That's a big thing. Yeah. Um, And literally, like, that that award, uh, that program, you know, this program that I attended led to me, you know, it basically awarded me people that have continued to become the pillars of my my success, my, you know, celebrations. Uh, <laughs> I do not talk much about the awards, but this whole 110 people have, um, and specifically you, Akshay, uh, Dave, Andrew, Rob, all of the people, uh, Dan, Glenn, Angela, anyone that I've missed out, and most of them I've missed out. Um, you guys have celebrated my success more than I have, <laughs> and that's that's a big thing for me. Um, but to be honest, I think everything that I received from Forbes uh, 30 under 30 in 2017 to becoming uh, Asia Foundation Development Fellow to receiving the Wise Leadership, uh, Wise Emerging Leaders. Yeah, that's the um, most yeah, recent group. one, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is hot, hot of the press. <laughs> yes, hot of the press. Congratulations, uh, my brother. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Well, like to be honest, I think uh, it's a reflection of the hard work that the team has done, mm-hmm. and I just happen to be fortunate enough to be at the at the forefront of it, which is, I, I think. Um, Though my though my photos are not really very good, I I happen to be pretty 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 well enough to have the name in the front. So um, have been fortunate because the team has worked extensively hard, and it's a it's a reflection and the achievement of the hard work that they have done. Um, I do not credit myself for all the awards. Um, I do not specifically. Um, Schwarzman Scholars Program, I got it because there was a team that was specifically working very hard to build schools and, you know, that was what I could talk about. I wanted to transform this country and I talked about it. Um, And there was a mentor who was always supporting me. Had it not been for his recommendation, his support in preparation for the interview, I would not have made it. And then, you know, specifically after I came into the Shoresman Scholars Program, having Steve, Amy, all of them say, we trust in, in your ability. And then, you know, them celebrating um, the Forbes 30 under 30, which basically yeah. I, I thought it was, you know, just, it was there. Um, but the <laughs> fact that, yeah. Of course you did. Like, <laughs> that's, that's because you're a humble guy. <laughs> no, and like literally like you, I remember you, Akshay and everyone, and including Andrew, uh, the the floor that I that we lived in the 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 side of the floor that we lived in, you, you there was this big hype, and I was just like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And that's that's when I found out that I actually made it to the list. I actually didn't <laughs> didn't know until you guys were like, yeah, so, we planned a surprise celebration for you, <laughs> and you were like, what is happening? <laughs> so no, no, literally, like so. And to be to reiterate the fact, I think had it not been for the trust from the donors, from my friends, my close friends who've always been there during my lows and highs, I am probably, you know, I wouldn't have received the recognitions that I've received. And so, you know, the Facebook um, fellowship program, like in you know, a Facebook leadership, yeah. community leadership program award was would not have been possible had it not been for 
the support that I got from all of my peers, the team, everyone saying, I think we can make this. I think I think this is meant for us. And so just these small gestures of support, the fact that you're there to celebrate, the fact that Akshay is always there, the fact that Andrew, Dan, Angela, everybody, I think that's what, what makes me who I am and for me I celebrate my people my team more than these achievements uh, and and they mean something they definitely uh, show that the team is doing absolutely well these are all all awards that the team has received and yes. anything that I receive any any time in the future will always mean that these people uh, are the ones who made it I'm you know I happen to be sitting on a board as the youngest uh, member in a nine-member committee of the Ministry of Social Development, which is, you know, uh, provided with the power to design policies to transform education in the state one of Nepal. And uh, sitting with these old folks, I get to learn so much. But had it not been for the hard work of the team that has worked day in and day out, I'm just another name. I'm just another person. Um, I'm built on people. And so, yeah, that's that's what it is. And, you know, Surya, like one of the things that really sticks out to me is that we talk about and, and the show is called Millennial Musings, right? And we talk about how millennials respond, how you and I as millennials respond to certain uh, important things in our life, the way millennials are changing things. And this is clearly the um, example uh, that shows that once we get out to doing things the way we want to do it, the recognition will follow and that will allow us to make the large scale changes that we so often find uh, people that are much older having the responsibility for, right? If you hadn't started your, built your first school, if you hadn't become, even before that, even if you hadn't become the co-founder of that initial educational organization, if you hadn't built your first school, you wouldn't have built the 34 schools. And if you didn't build Mm -hmm. those 34 schools, you wouldn't have been invited to be on this uh, panel that's deciding on how education is going to be in Nepal. And that just shows the power of that first step and that millennials can and will and do, in fact, create those kind of large-scale changes all around the world. Um, But another thing I wanted to say is that the kind of minuscule impact you're having on a lot of people, right? I know you mentioned me, Akshay, and a lot of our other friends constantly uh but you've actually transformed my life in a very very significant way um if you remember our first conversation was about counter-terrorism not about development or education um, uh-huh. and uh, by the end of the year i was building a foundation um for education <laughs> in india thanks to the inspiration that you gave me and you were always there for me to just pick up the call pick up the phone call you ask for advice uh, in London, when we met up for a brief amount of time, we, you were already problem solving for me and with trouble that I was going through my foundation. And it means a lot, man. And it um, it, it, it just shows me that if, if like you gave me the courage to follow my passion and want to do things way before you're allowed to do things, you know, because everybody says, you know, get a job, make make money, save up the money and then do what you want to do. But you were that example for me, for somebody that was already doing what they wanted to do because they wanted to do it, not just because of what society said or anybody else said or um, any of those things. Uh, But on that note, Surya, uh, before I let you go, I uh, want to quickly ask you, 
uh what's next man what's next for surya what's uh, what's what's he cooking up i know you're not somebody that sits idle there's a lot of ideas brimming in that big head of yours um so uh tell us about a few things that you're working on brother you know i actually dragged you into into going away from counterterrorism because <laughs> that I was, you did i was i was i was literally scared of losing you um but yeah anyways <laughs> It, it worked out pretty well. It um, um, uh, so I've I've worked enough in the education sector, and I'm very proud of everything that has happened so far. Uh, there's a very long way to go. Um, and and when I mentioned earlier on to you that um, you know uh, in 2013 when I came back and I realized the scale of the problem and I was telling myself it is too big of a problem to solve. i was actually meaning to tell it with you know actual you know courage to say i i really can't solve it but then i i actually had realized back on that it's an issue that will not be solved overnight and yeah. a lot of patience a lot of hard work a lot of dedication was needed and when we built the first school we knew early on that it was not going to be easy we're going to lose uh quite some number of battles but we're going to win the majority of them um as of today as we sit down locked in our houses specifically in nepal it's like it's like the 37 day i don't even know what day it was until this morning when <laughs> uh, until yesterday when you actually when you actually said uh, on on friday that uh, we actually going to chat on sunday yeah. um yeah but but yeah so um my hope is that we continue to build more schools in more areas um bring more high quality education to these rural areas um i'm trying to explore the idea of uh, take aided uh, uh, education to ensure that the quality stays consistent in right. all of the schools because um we've been very heavily dependent on humans to deliver high quality education and i think at some point um it's become very uh, incompetent for us uh, because far away rural areas we don't have very high quality teachers and training after you train them we lose them so we are trying to focus on technology we want to try to bring in uh, at least some form of computer education computer aided education to these areas not replacing education that is taught by humans by computers but rather aiding the kind of education that is provided by humans um so we've we've already embarked on it uh, with support from a uh, few donors we've already built some computer labs five of them uh, actually three yeah five of them and we would like to continue to explore that uh, spectrum i know as we talk about this uh, there's a economic turmoil that we are looking to face uh, and it's going to definitely hit um, quite a lot of revenue for a lot of non-profits specifically us as well mm-hmm. but as i request everyone listening or anyone who will specifically be supporting ventures non-profits around the world i'd say please support uh, long term solutions rather than just short term um right. short term access um education is the long term solution to poverty and so we want to continue to utilize um the platform we have to build more schools we're aiming at around 150 over the next uh 5 years if if funds permit we want to continue to run the current schools and help the government build more uh you know sustainable 
schools rather than just schools that don't function and provide schooling. Um, I am continuously working on other ideas, as Anurag <laughs> said. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, as as we see, I'm I'm trying to build a business business venture um, on 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 yogurt. Um, now, because I've worked on uh, education, I've realized that the agriculture side specifically also needs further support. Uh, what I really mean by this is Nepal is an agricultural country. Eventually, we'd want to become that country that really sustains on agriculture, supporting food, organic, as well as some sort of inorganic food to, to the world. And right now, um, me along with my two partners, Sandeep and Binay, we're working on an idea called uh, Delish Greek Yogurt. Uh, it's going to become the first and the only Nepali-made Greek yogurt in, in, in Nepal. And uh, we're looking to get it out into the market at least in the next two months or so. Oh, and wow. we want to, yeah, no, and uh, I mean, it's thanks to the lockdown, we were pushed by two months or else we'd already be out in the market. So, so when, <laughs> I, when I come and visit you, you're, you're welcoming me in with oh, some yogurt, yes. right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we want to become a regional product, right? And mm-hmm. we want to at yeah. least try to get out into the Middle Eastern market. Um, and we'll see where it goes. But uh, like I said, transforming systems is what I'm really focused on. Um, I do have a few other ideas that I'm trying to work on, which are already in place uh, and they are working out well. Um, and, you know, I, I probably am a person like Anurag says, I have my hands in too many different <laughs> different things. And, and some, sometimes they get me into trouble, but most of the times they're pretty exciting. Uh, stressful but worth it so yeah. uh, that's that's where I am <laughs> <laughs> lovely Surya thank you so much brother like honestly um, this is this was a long time coming and um, I'm so glad that thanks to coronavirus <laughs> although we shouldn't be <laughs> celebrating it too much uh, but given given our, our crazy schedules I think this was the one time that we could actually sit down for almost two hours and um, and 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 really talk about all these things that we truly truly um, are passionate about and believe in. And um, I wish you the best, brother. Um, I know the hundred schools are not going to be built easily, but if there's anybody that I know amongst my friends and my 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 family that can make it happen, it's you. Can't wait to try out the Greek yogurt and can't wait to see you soon. So hopefully that'll happen soon as well. Uh, but thank you for joining in and um, hope. Uh, um, hope that you continue to become a guest on uh, Millennium Musings as we carry this forward.